Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Udan Yopai. And today we have a very special guest. It's a, a, a wonderful member of our community, Jenner Kay, and she's here to talk about the Enneagram and recovery. Um, Jenner's done some amazing work bringing together the Enneagram and the 12 steps. And I saw her, uh, she did a, a presentation with two other people at the recent, uh, recent conference that I saw that was amazing. And she's also written a book called The Enneagram for Recovery uh, that covers a lot of territory in bringing the Enneagram together with uh, different elements of the 12 steps and the recovery process. Uh, so welcome, Jenner. It's such, a, it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much, B and Aranya. Good to be with you. I am so happy you're here, Jenner, because this is such, such an important theme. B and I have been uh, dreaming of having you here. And I am more happy than B is because finally it's type 5-2, type 2-1. It's like <laughs> you are a 5 like me, and now finally I get to be majority here. <laughs> yes, but I am getting to my feelings more and more, so... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And it's a hard thing that B has a lot to teach us about. Yes. Two fives on the path. Um, and one of the things we appreciate so much about you, Jenner, is how diligent you are about doing your inner work. And certainly this book that you've created and your story uh, is a big testament to, to that. Um, so I, I like to start with just asking uh, you to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners. Um, can you say a little bit maybe about yourself, your background, and how you came to the Enneagram and maybe how you found out you were a type five? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Um, so I, I'll say first my uh, number one Enneagram type is five, but the instinctual sequence is self-pres, sexual, then social. And, and you can hear differences between me and Uranio and other uh, more right. social. It's been, it's amazing. I care so much about these two programs, both the Enneagram and recovery, that it's kind of forced me out of my shell, which is part of the work, part of what I needed to be drawn to. And so how, how I found the Enneagram, it was almost at the same time. I uh, got into recovery in 1994 there's a great story behind that, but um, let me just say I was brought to my knees in the way that when ego is cracked, you're ready to try something new. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a few months into my program, and a friend in the program handed me the Rizzo Hudson book, The Personality Types, mm -hmm. and it was just perfect for a type five because in the back there's this appendix and it cross-references the Enneagram with Karen Horneis and Freud and Jung and all these great methods or the um, personality kind of um, ways of accessing how to be our best self um, that I was interested in. And the reason why this friend gave it to me is that I was at um, my 12-step, step six. And step six is where... Step four is where we take a very fine-grained inventory of our own instincts, sex, security, and social. So that's a one-on-one -on -one correspondence with the Enneagram. Um, and then in step six, it's more of, a, I would say, a global view on what is not working in my life and what continues to not work, and to concede that my own efforts alone 
will not get me to my best self, that I will need a third force or a higher power. And what those blind spots may be. And, and so his handing me the personality types was just perfect because I immediately knew I was a type five. I've never doubted that. I've never had to, you know, re-research it. And I have taken quizzes, but it was just um, uh, an overall understanding that these people understand both my weaknesses and my strengths. And, um, mm-hmm. and I dove into it as far as I would go, you know, I live in the Bay Area, so I would go to um, these Menlo Park or Berkeley kind of Enneagram workshops. And I want to say something very, um, a strong praise for both of you is that I did this from 94 for a good dozen years. And the effect was never lasting. Looking back, it just hit me from my head up. It was just an aha experience of the intellectual type. And it wasn't until I went to the Chestnut Pies Enneagram Academy where we did the body work and we got in touch with feelings that it became transformational. And I knew that's what the Enneagram was really talking about. So I, I really thank you because it's, it's changed the course of my life. Wow. Thank you so much, Jenner. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've always seen you as... Uh, model as a student uh, who has engaged with uh, doing your inner work in in all the most courageous and and best ways. Is there anything you want to say about what led you to recovery? What brought you um, into that? Um, You know, you said there's a story there, just checking in case you want to say anything about your story there. Well, I'm trying to respect the 11th tradition where we don't name the specific program. I'll just say that I drank too much, which I think is pretty uh, revealing in itself, right? I was telling it to Enneagram friends just this week on when you have asked in, in our workshops that if we're going to change at a deeper level, our egos have to be cracked open. And I can say that um, a physical addiction, or they also have process addictions such as gambling, it brought me to my knees where I described it like an astronaut in space without gravity. It was as if I was shaken to the degree where everything I had used up to that point, everything I thought I could rely on, that I was very independent and didn't need other people, all of that was suspended the last time that I, I hit bottom. Um, and I wanted to make use of that this time. I had hit bottom before. And again, it would just be an intellectual kind of a, a reckoning. And th- this last time, it involved my daughter. So that's my heart space. Mm-hmm. And I had to get sober. I had to change. And I knew from prior experience that this this program was spiritual and it involved asking for help from people. So self-pres five, that is not a strong suit of mine, but it didn't matter. It did not matter because my life was at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, thank you for your sharing and self-disclosure. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us what led you to write this book, The Enneagram for Recovery? Which, by the way, in our uh, description of this episode, you can find a link to buy at Amazon.com. Uh, and it's it's really recommended by B&I. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Well, B, I had asked you after I think workshop A on is there this sounds so familiar to me, this this Enneagram and 12 steps. Are there other people in the field who, who are already in the program? And you said you think so. There are a few. And since then I have found I have found them. But nobody was doing exactly what I had in mind, which was to describe the beauty of the Enneagram. So the way the short phrase, way I phrase it is the 12 steps saved my life, but the Enneagram gave it meaning. It helped give it meaning. And I wanted to be able to, we do a lot of work on the 12 steps. I mean, we, we turn over our life and our will and we do this inventory and we pray and we meditate. But hearing it in different words is um, so important. I think you've said that some people in the program they'll get physically sober, whatever that definition could be. And maybe they plateau or get stuck. And some of my friends do, and some of them don't. But the language of the Enneagram just wakes us up. Like, those are my traps, and those are my patterns. And and here's the line out. You know, like, unlike even the other wonderful psychological instruments, like Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram offers a way out. And that sounds like drawing me to my higher self. And, and that's what those two programs have in common, I think. Yeah, you've said they're both, both, um, both the 12 steps and the Enneagram are both psychological and spiritual, yeah. uh, which I think is a really important aspect. I know when I was a psychotherapist, from time to time, I would work with people in recovery. Um, and it was always um, a, a big pleasure to work with these people because they were very dedicated to their path and they were walking these steps, which were taking them to be doing these very specific focused tasks that were really helping them. Um, I did find though, like you said, that often if they were able to change their behavior or, you know, stop, you know, the addiction, um, there was so much underneath that, you know, and often I know in many kinds of addictions are ways of coping with uh, overwhelming emotions um, that often we never get taught how to manage or how to withstand. Um, and that there was often the idea that some people who would do the 12 steps or would go to recovery wouldn't do the underlying work that now you need to do psychological work. Now that you've stopped the destructive behavior, now you can really have an opening into understanding what's underneath that. You know, why were you um, needing a way out of these, uh, of your, uh, these overwhelming feelings. And um, so of course, psychotherapy is really good for that. But I think what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that the Enneagram provides sort of a guide, sort of a pathway. Mm -hmm. It provides a means of doing this deeper work. And I like the way you put that in terms of the, the 12 steps save your life, but the Enneagram gave it meaning. Mm -hmm. um, so can you tell us more about this integration of uh, the 12 steps, this path of recovery and um, the Enneagram? Mm -hmm. uh, just to double back for one minute is the, um, the 12 steps does offer um, looking into our past. It says that alcohol is but a symptom. We have to get down to deeper causes and conditions. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I have been to tens of thousands of meetings, hearing 250,000 shares, perhaps. And the thing that I hear in common, at least in my addiction, is this full flight from reality. And 
So if we don't turn around and face it and in such a way as to do it with acceptance, then we're not going to truly root out what was, we might cure the behavior, like you said, but there's still this, this underlying problem. So uh, what brought me to write the uh, book or to, what was the question, please? Well, yeah, what, what brought you to write the book and how do you integrate uh, the 12 steps with the Enneagram? Okay. Um, so I wrote the book to be able to give people in any 12-step recovery group um, the Enneagram tools. Not, not everybody had heard of it. And to me, it was just an easy, easy fit. And I tried to, like, if you look at the table of contents, um, I tried to give one-on-one correspondence for things to do per step. Like step one is about powerlessness. So it's first admitting that maybe we're locked into a compulsive way of seeing life. And step two is maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another way. And that would be looking at our own types patterns. Mm -hmm. Step three is a real change step. It's turning our life and our will over to the care of a higher power and so I equated that with do something different. You know, the David Daniels one is actually um, a longer version of something that's um, a phrase that's been used in Al-Anon for decades and decades. And that's awareness, acceptance, action. Um, oh. Yes, that's, uh, that's interesting. I think it was co-evolution, you know. Um, and so the action part of step three coincides with Let's get going on doing, getting back some of the foundation from our energizing point, from our arrow against type. That's going to fill in these gaps that we've been just struggling to hide from ourselves. And, and so that chapter is given to um, energizing point work. Um, and then four is where we take a searching and fearless moral inventory. And like I said, it, it involves looking at It says that our instincts of sex, security, and social are God-given, but we often let them far exceed their intended purpose. So isn't that perfect for saying it nicely? Like, it has a function how we got to be the way we are. But when we take it too far, we're going to hurt other people. We're going to hurt ourselves. Um, It has a lot to do with what we talk about, the the instinct distortions of the Enneagram, with one becoming dominating, the other one becoming And that shows a new idea from the Enneagram that we don't have in the 12-step world is you've taught us how to bring up the repressed or the third instinct. And I think, Aranio, you said maybe the work of the second half of life is a call to actualize the third instinct, which for me is social. Um, Mm -hmm. Here I am. You know, I'm trying to be part of the social fabric now, which is a stretch. Yeah, beautiful. Right, right. I really like how you talk about the full flight from reality, because I think that describes both addiction and when we over-identify with an Enneagram type, and we kind of keep stubbornly holding on to that limited viewpoint to the point where we limit ourselves or we hold ourselves back without realizing or wanting to do it. Um, because in way we're not facing a larger reality, you know, we may be just seeing things from the point of view of our relatively limited perspective and not realizing how limited it is. Mm-hmm. And both of your teaching is so balanced as far as seeing the low side and the high side, you know, it comes with a lot of acceptance that 
I can see how I got to be the way I am and I want to grow into my fuller self. And, and you do that balance really well, I think. So can you explain a little bit more? Because I think people will find it really interesting. You, you, it sounds like you use the back arrow, the arrow against, and each Enneagram type has two arrow line connected points. One is kind of what we call the energizing point because it goes back in time often. It's like taking a step back into our past to understand something about ourselves, often something we had to leave behind or that wasn't accepted. And then the other arrow is a little bit like going into the future. Um, and can you say a little bit more how you, how, what you relate in, in the 12 steps to that, that arrow behind or the energizing point, as we call it? Uh, I used it in step three because it says in our program that that's the first action step. And I would say that that's the first exploration outside of our home type to go out and see what's missing. And then um, Sandra Mitri calls it the child um, heart and child soul. And I can see that those are things left over. I was veering toward being a type eight, but my mother already took up the type eight space and for other reasons, I can see why I came back to five. It was safer to me. And, um, and, and that's work that needs to be, I think, if we're going to make our best psychological progress, we have to see the faulty foundation and to, and to get stronger in filling that in. So would that, that be like exploring more about your childhood, maybe your family of origin, what kinds of things were wounding? Is it that kind of step back or is it is it a little bit different than that uh, because i come first from the 12 step they have a great record for being more of a behavioral science it says uh, we don't care why you, you you drank at this point you're just not going to drink right. <laughs> you know right. like you will get more clarity when you come to physical sobriety and there is something for me who loves to overthink things that it, it was a great relief to not have to think at the beginning, to just change behavior. And so in the book, I didn't do too much of the deeper diving onto the past yet. I think it got deeper by um, chapter eight, which I, I looked at the shadow, because I just want people to see where they are and what they might have left behind and do some of that awareness and then um, deconstruction work, as you would say, is what do I need to do? For me as a type five, I need to be more making more of an impact in the world as an eight, taking up my space in a body energetic way as an eight. These are things I need to practice. And so it, it didn't have quite the psychological exploration that the later chapters to later work had. It makes a lot of sense because it sounds like what you're saying is by taking this step back Enneagram wise, uh, we kind of ground ourselves yes in something outside ourselves and at the same time help ourselves to be more clear, to have a different perspective um, and to bring something new into the work that we might do to, to take a different path forward. And I think it's a great convincer because people in recovery are generally spiritual seekers and they have been trying, but maybe not in a continual way to try on new behavior. And what, as I say that the Enneagram map, it tells you you're on the right road, but you might be over on the bumpy shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so keep going in type five 
um, accessing the strengths of type eight or whatever somebody's energizing point may be. Like you're on the right track. You might be even feeling too much of the low point, but you're on the right track. Keep going. And I think that's wonderful. And I just want to make a comment about what you've just said. People in recovery are usually in the path of growth. And that's, that's something that many people don't understand. Yeah. And that's like addiction uh, to me feels like pretty much something that is in lower levels of awareness. But when someone has the will uh, to go for recovery, uh, it's, it takes a lot of awareness and a lot of strength that is more typical of what here at CP we call level two, at least, uh, in the levels of awareness. And we had some other episodes talking about this. But also, sometimes, uh, all this process uh, happens because the person is getting confused and more disidentified from ego and more, like, broken in the inside, just like any true seeker is. So I want to say this just to break the myth that uh, people who are addicted are necessarily in a lower level of awareness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's even an indication that they are better candidates to do this uh, inner work Mm -hmm. uh, um, effort. Most definitely I was um, acting out of the lower level in the years of my addiction. But I was still seeking. It just, it was never going to get anywhere because it wasn't based on reality. Um, mm-hmm. And as you've identified, it gives us um, the thing about, good thing about hitting bottoms. There's only one way to go. Mm-hmm. Right. You pretty much have to go up if you're going to make it. Um, but um, also the 12 steps is is quite a um, spiritual emphasis on ritual. We pray and we meditate and we make amends and we help other people. It has, maybe I can go further into tools going both ways, but um, it's the Enneagram uh, is complementary. It gives new language. It gives new practices too. Can you repeat the first four steps? And then I have a question about the fourth step, just so people, people who may not be familiar with, um, with the 12 steps have them in mind as we relate them to the Enneagram. One is that we were powerless over fill in the blank, that our lives have become unmanageable. And if you want, I can go how that could help people in the Enneagram world. Yes, that would be great. Okay. Uh, So that is admitting that our old ego patterns are limiting and are harmful. We are not living our best self when we're locked into that one way of seeing things and defending them. All right. Uh, Step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I like the emphasis on could, like maybe there's another way to live. And so that would be, what about this Enneagram? Is it describing something true for me? Can I use it in a practical way? Is it um, going to help me in my relationships? You know, it's, it's uh, just the door ever so slightly open. And then step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Um, and that it would like I say, be a moment of change. You don't know quite what you're getting into as far as the spiritual and psychological change, 
but you've made a decision, you're going to go forward with it and give it a try. And so in the Enneagram terms, that would be, you know, joining a, a real academy such as yours or some commitment to an ongoing process, not just reading one book and putting it back on the shelf, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and just can you stop there? Because I just want to say some things that really leap out at me that I really love about what you're saying. And that is, you know, so much of the Enneagram work is a kind of waking up out of the trance yeah. of ego or personality. And it just sounds like you're talking about that in such a clear way. And this, this a sort of like pathway for people to find the way out, you know, it's the, you know, real, like you said, it saves, it saves lives. There's this way that people, it's like, sort of like you have to wake up or not, or die sometimes when you're in the grip of an addiction. And so I think I like it because it's, acknowledging a greater power is especially, I think, resonant with our approach to the Enneagram, um, which, you know, Uranio really um, in a beautiful way kind of holds the flag for this is a spiritual system. Uh, This is a model of transformation. We're not talking about making the ego better or making it a little nicer or more functional. We're talking about you got to realize the ego is not getting you there. You know, it's driving you into a ditch. Now, the tricky thing is, you know, for people who are, say, you know, drinking alcohol, that's a different kind of ditch than someone who's a workaholic who may be getting rewarded for that, but still has an addiction, you know. And so I think I like that there's these first few steps are almost recognizing and having humility of my ego is not going to get me there. You know, I need to surrender to a higher will in a way. And I like the 12 steps too, because even though they're profoundly spiritual, they do have this very practical approach very you know, of you gotta give it up because you being in your personality or your ego being in charge is not working. Um, and so it's like giving your will, you know, recognizing your, your, there's a higher power and submitting to a, a larger will reminds me of the holy idea of holy will. Uh, that ego, when we're an ego, it's a little like playing God. Um, and so when you re- get to that hitting bottom point, um, there is this opportunity to wake up out of that. And these steps give you a real practical guide to actually how to do that. Your two most recent book, the Waking Up, hits the language perfectly because we don't want to be halfway alive leading a 70% life. It's it's not just addiction, as you said, to chemicals or process, but our own life that's at stake. So it's, it's, it's every bit as vital. Yeah. And I like the way this kind of, I mean, and I think the experience of so many um, addicts is it is life and death. Yeah. And I think in a way it's like, like Urani was saying, it's a positive thing because some people who don't fall into an addiction may fall be asleep their whole lives, you know. And this is almost a way of utilizing, you know, the situation you find yourself in in order as a means of waking up. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to touch on something. I think I hope I'm paraphrasing it properly, Urani. Correct me if I'm wrong. You said that if um, talking about the process enneagram. 
on the levels of development or awareness is that if we do the work, we can psychologically get to, I believe you said level three, but at the shock point, we need something else to get us past that. And, mm -hmm. and that is completely in line with the 12 steps. We need grace. Right. Yes. Do that. So we call it point three, not a level, but you're totally right. Okay. And that's when, um, we, we need to receive a third force that is external and coming from a higher level to be pushed beyond uh, those constraints. And I just want to add that our Enneagram type is an addiction, yes. like in the personality level. And uh, the passion of type can be understood as an emotional vice. Mm -hmm. This is also something that uh, perhaps, you know, using the 12-step approach to the, the, the vice of personality could also uh, represent something good. Mm -hmm. I, I find it, this is my own take, I don't know if it's um, commonly thought, that we were given these certain gifts, and like children, we want to reverse engineer them, and we pound them to death, and we, we do the same thing, but the flip side in an egoic manner. And it destroys the essence or the beauty of it. And we need to clear that away to get back to it. Yeah. And then we need that step number two saying mm -hmm. there must be something must beyond be. where I am right now. Yes. So yes. both on the 12th step and on, on the Enneagram, mm -hmm. we need we need to start at the very least questioning, mm -hmm. is there anything alternative mm -hmm. to what I'm living? Yes. Is there yes. anything that is... It, it can represent some freedom from those patterns I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we stalled at four. Do you want me to keep going? In the yeah, and it's because I want to say, I think four is amazing the way how connected it is to the instincts. Mm -hmm. So can you say that again? Because I think it's that's incredible. It says that um, these instincts are, are certainly God-given and there for a reason but we often let them far exceed their intended purpose. That's pretty close to the direct quotation there. Wow. And that is completely, you know, as we understand the instincts is they're not, they're not bad, but uh, you know, my only looking at self-pres means I'm living in a pretty small bubble here and I'm not conscious of the social fabric. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm politically, um, uh, blind um, i'm not living my best best self my biggest self by yeah. getting stuck and at the same time self-pressed instinct in its origins and it's in its non-distorted state mm -hmm. is the very um the very capacity to receive the biggest gift of all which is life mm -hmm. and, and to take care of it mm -hmm. without falling into those silly things that a self-pressed mm -hmm. dominant person can do mm -hmm. and not more silly than a social dominant or a sexual yeah. dominant people person can do mm -hmm. but uh yeah and then there are capacities that comes from a more healthy self-preservation instinct even the meditation thing or mm -hmm. the internal internalization going inside mm -hmm. this comes from the self-pressed instinct when healthy but it goes way beyond where it should go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I lead workshops and I, I once wanted to flip it to the positive side. And I said, the good thing about being self-pressed is I'm very respectful. I don't 
um, over talk people most of the time. I don't wear so much perfume that the person next to me can't breathe. And that having a small bubble is very uh, kind and considerate and respects other people's agency as far as they're living their life up to a point. So yes. each of them has something good to them. So the step for action or directive is what exactly again in terms of instincts? Okay, so the the step reads, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And in the program, we take an instinct, listen to, I mean, we take an inventory of our fear. That sounds like the the self-preservation instinct to me. What, what is our fear? What is causing it? Is it based on an over-reliance on self? Then the main inventory that most people think of for step four is our relationships with others. Do we have a resentment against them? What is our part? If we're seeing a common denominator in all of these different um, relationships gone awry, the common denominator is me. What is my part? And so that would be, I think, the social instinct. And then the last um, inventory that we take is a sexual inventory. Have I used people? Have I done, have I behaved selfishly without regard to the other person there? So there's the three instincts right right there. Wow. And it's about taking inventory. So it sounds like being really honest with yourself Mm -hmm. about where you've been and what you've done and, and how you've been relating to people. And that segues well into five because it says, just in the regular language of the program, we can't be honest to ourselves by ourselves. And so step five is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And uh, again, the challenge for me was to be intimate. We have sponsors, somebody who's farther down the 12-step path than we are. And we sit and we talk, we read over this inventory and we listen to the feedback from our sponsor. And it's, it says, our, our, the language in our 12 steps and 12 traditions says, this, this is a process as old as time. It seems like the human heart needs to confess, to say out loud and have the other person hear us. So yeah, even and to do the work together with other people, yes. also connect to someone who's a little bit further ahead. Yes. Yeah. All of these are things that we also explain in the Enneagram Path for mm-hmm. Work. Yes. In fact, you, you said at, um, when leaving that we need to be able to give this to somebody else. And, and when I get to step 12, that sounds a lot like our step 12. So. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so that was five, admitted to God, to ourselves, another human being, exact nature of our wrongs. And then here's the one that I really, you know, I said I got I got introduced to the Enneagram because of step six and seven. And one of our older members said, this is the heart of the program. Six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And seven is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And those sound kind of redundant. And some people say, why do we have to have, you know, two steps that talk about shortcomings and defects? And um, it's not directly written, but the way I understand it, it's I have um, a job to sort out and find what my glaring defects are. And I should take whatever action I can think best to do the opposite. 
But whether any given defect will be removed on that at that time is not up to me. It's up to my higher power. Yeah. So it's like uh, we can do our best and still we will need permission and uh, some kind of um, someone opening the doors for us. And it's something that we really try to explain that uh, is important when we get to higher levels of awareness on the Enneagram. Otherwise, we think of all of of this of uh, as being too anthropocentric, like we are making all of this happen and not uh, higher force. It would be, for me, it would be way too mechanistic. I love being independent and an individual, but if I could just dial in all of my spiritual um, awakenings, then I would have no need for a group or for a higher power. Yeah. And that is what I need. So It's interesting that the 12 spa, uh, steps um, sort of take uh, some cautious uh, approach to avoid spiritual bypass. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, if anything, I would say we are very good at pulling our own covers. And and when you hear um, people talking in the room, it slides in sideways. It doesn't directly uh, um, point a finger at my ego. You just hear somebody else talking and you think, oh, I got that too. Interesting. Beautiful. Yeah. I love the community aspect of this and that it's, you need to do this searching moral inventory and then you need to share it with someone else. It's not just keeping it inside, which I, you know, I don't know how that was for you as a five, but now you have to tell it to somebody else and you have to be open to the feedback that they give you. And so over and over again, I just think that it's so much based on a kind of path to humility like a perennial wisdom that you two talk about exactly which i think is at the heart of the enneagram you know that you've got it's an act of humility to say it's not all about me and my ego um and i think the the brilliance of these steps is it sort of makes sure that you don't skip i mean and sometimes we say that spiritual bypass is about skipping steps mm-hmm. on the path mm-hmm. and it's almost like these steps you know doing and the way that the tradition of doing them in this of really doing the steps in a serious way makes sure that people don't skip any steps that will help make them fall back down to this lower level or into back into sleep or back into addiction. Yeah. I would would just add, uh, you need to share not with just anybody. It's with the friend on the path. Right. Right. And that is also something we teach a lot all the time when we are doing something that is not only difficult, but uncommon in the sense, that there are not, it's not the majority who's doing it, uh, like Enneagram work in a deeper level, mm-hmm. then we need to connect to someone else doing it. Otherwise, it becomes too hard and we'll feel as if we're the only ones because right, right. most people are not doing the same. And, and I think part of what drives people to addiction and all kinds of ways of coping with, with pain is... Um, feeling alone. And so I, I, I like how this is very much, it's a, it's done in relationship. 
And I also think there's a parallel in what you're saying about what we talk about in our levels of awareness model and level two Mm -hmm. about regrouping. Uh It's like, you've got to hang out with other people who are also walking the steps. You have to hear, you you share each other, you share stories and you have uh, someone that you work with who's Mm -hmm. farther on the path uh, that supports you and helps you and is someone you can call when you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, So these things are all, you know, I I really appreciate how practical they are about helping people stay, stay on the path. And here's the thought is that when we go to the the larger meetings, you know, maybe there's 20 or 100 people there, we're cautioned to share in a general way. And like I say, it creates um, an atmosphere of trust, like a safety net, I feel it. But when we sit one-on-one, so that one, the general group sharing might be considered a a, a social construct. And when we sit one-on-one, that is the sexual or the one-on-one where it gets more intimate is we're accepted by one person. And it, it says, you know, this is just one person. We're not psychologically trained. We're not therapists. Um, and they may get it wrong, but at least it's going to be uh, real feedback. And again, it's very practical. Right. And you're being listened to and yeah. responded to. And I, it's really amazing how it speaks to people who come to the recovery who have different dominant instincts, right? And there's something for everyone, you know, there's somewhat, there's something, there's like being pushed out of your comfort zone as a self-preservation dominant. There's the, the power of the group for the social dominance. Um, and also this one-on-one, um, these one-on-one relationships, uh, that are also a big part of it. So it's almost like it's both, there's some comfort for people who have these dominant instincts, but there's also challenge built in, you know, like, and like there's a natural way that people are, are encouraged or even pushed to balance their instincts, right? And not just come from one, because I can, you know, there was one time when I was starting to follow a spiritual path but I just did it at home by myself and read these things by myself. And I kept thinking I should go to a meditation. I should go to a group meeting. And I didn't. And I know, and I kept noticing that as a self-preservation dominant, I sort of stayed in my comfort zone. And so I think there's a way that this program offers something, again, that both supports people like in doing it their dominant way that they may feel like they need to to have something to hold on to but then also nudges you out of your comfort zone to to develop more capacity around these other instincts so that's it's really beautiful and this is such a good conversation because we're coming to a new understanding by talking it out loud right now in life so who knew Yes, yes. I, you know, I've been a little bit familiar with the steps, but not as familiar as you are. And so it's such a, a, a gift to hear you talk about them from your lived experience mm-hmm. and from bringing them together with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So what about step eight? Okay. Uh, that one is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And let me jump to step nine. Uh, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And eight sounds like just um, um, a half step up to nine. It's just making a list. But to me, the beauty and the psychological depth of it, it's became willing to make amends. In other words, to stop seeing it from our own perspective, to do the shadow work, 
to see the other person as having a different Enneagram type or different dominant instinct from having different needs than ours. And um, I think that's so beautiful. And that's one of the strongest chapters. That's in fact one of the main reasons why I wrote the book was to talk about the shadow work on we're blaming others for stuff that we do not want to see in ourselves. Um, the, the idea of uh, othering others instead of owning that we have perhaps stepped on the toes of other people. And so I think that step eight is actually very beautiful is switching pl places with another human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we, we do talk about, I mean, when we grow, we need to not only own our parts and start talking way more about those instead of criticizing others or expecting too much about from others, but the shadow thing is something we can do as we grow. And I'm not surprised that this is a later step, yes. not one of the beginning ones. Mm -hmm. And the, those correspond a little bit more with our next levels of awareness in our CP model. Mm -hmm. and, and at the risk of bringing in a third model and making it a little more complicated, what this is really reminding me is Dante's Divine Comedy, <laughs> which I've you know integrated with the, brought together with the Enneagram also, because in hell, in Inferno, what characterizes the shades that end up in Inferno for eternity, forever, is exactly these things. Uh, they blame other people. They don't take responsibility. Um, and I, I love this amends is about it, taking responsibility for the harm we've done and wanting to make it right, which um, is leading a little bit to what the, um, the dividing line between the inferno, the hell in Dante's Divine Comedy and Purgatory, which is the second book. And of course, the third is Paradise. The dividing line is repentance. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot, that, and we talk about repentance in terms of our levels of awareness model and how we use the Enneagram as a guide for understanding how to move forward on our path of development, that there's a big part of, in, in addition to um, humility, which is part of this, there's a part where it's about uh, really seeing the error of our ways without getting excessively self-critical, right? And, and guilt is a low level of emotion and we're not talking about that. And I hear that it's not about that in, the, in these steps, um, but it's much more about um, being able to repent, see the error of our ways, feel sad and sorry about it and recognize how to do it differently. And in Dante, we face all the seven deadly sins. We just spend longer in the one that's our particular one. And in our 12 steps and 12 traditions, they have long, long paragraphs on each of the sins and, and their levels. It says things like, we may be not so gluttonous as to ruin our health, but who of us has not taken our comfort? And, and it talks wow. about each of the seven deadly sins as really? well. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then another correlation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So nine I mentioned may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except one to do so would injure them or others. And we've now done it with a mostly open heart, not just a pure, I'm sorry. It's, mm -hmm. I see that I harmed you. I see that I let you down. My best intention is to not repeat this action. And it comes from a much more heartfelt place after doing step eight. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Beautiful. So the eights is sort of make a list uh, mm-hmm. and sort of reflect on it and own it. And the nine is actually make the statement, yeah. make the amends, do, do that uh, direct communication with the person. Yeah. yeah. So take action in, in a kind yeah. of way. Don't just think about it, but bring it out into your relationships. And with an open heart to listen to what their impressions were. It's hard. It's hard work. But it also sounds like that, again, helps people get into their heart, you know, whether they're a heart type and maybe they need to get more clear with themselves in their heart or they're a head type and they need to get more into their heart or a body type and get more into their heart. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Ten was continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So I like the continued part. That would be David Daniels. um, um, what is his adherence one where we have to mm-hmm. keep doing and, the work? And I just want to alert people. So um, Jenner's referring to David Daniels, who was our mentor and one of the pioneering Enneagram teachers in the world. Um, he had these f- four A's, I think it was called. Awareness, yeah. acceptance, appreciation, which Al-Anon doesn't have. Um, action and then adherence. Adherence. And the keep on keeping on is very good for humans because we like, like you say, we have these great expansion experiences and then we like to revert. And it's a reminder, oh no, you you still have inventory to do. You still have uh, areas of defect and, and not right relations with other people. Yeah, but step 10 also sounds like it's a bit more preventive so that we don't Mm. incur again in the things and it reminds me the very important uh, competency of self-observation when we spot what we are doing at the moment and we don't go there and we recover what's called choice which is something that uh, we we can get to when we do inner work uh-huh. And if we've done the major house cleaning already, it's meant to be lighter, like take care, like exactly what you said, preventative. Don't let the psychological gunk build up again. Take care of it in the moment. Go the next day and say you're sorry to somebody you've, you've harmed. And I think that that's very grown up. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said, it's letting people know that it's not a one-shot deal, you know, and same with the Enneagram. It's like you may find your type and have all these insights, but then you need to put that into practice in an ongoing way. You need to be observing yourself and inquiring into habits in order to undo them and staying with that so that you can create change instead of just sort of resting on your laurels or thinking, oh, now I'm done. Um, It's an ongoing process of Mm self-development. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then 11 is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And the reason why it's another 10, 11, and 12, or some people call them the maintenance steps, but I would say they're kind of the refresher course to keep us on the path, like you said, Aranya. And um, um, what, what I've likened it to is step three was such a big, for me, I did not want to concede um, centrality to something other than myself. I wanted to rely on my own individual will. So step three was hard for me. And the way I liken it is step 11 is another chance. This is where you get closer contact with your spirit. 
you don't have to do it all at one time. It's just a bare beginning in three. And eleven is the deepening process of that. Yeah, I also get the got that impression that eleven is actually a deepening uh, from ten because it's like on ten we are self-observing, and then on eleven we are transcending. Yes, yeah, yeah. Beyond that, is good this, word. Make sense to you? Yeah, good word. Transcending, good. Eleven is, I think, one of the most spiritual steps there is. I I spend a good deal of time every day in prayer and meditation and contemplation. It's beautiful. It's almost like, you know, earlier the earlier steps is realizing there's there's something a higher power than me. This is I, I shouldn't be playing God when I'm identified with my personality. It doesn't get me anywhere because it's not the truth. And then this is sort of like developing an ongoing relationship to that higher power mm-hmm. in doing the things we need to do to can make that connection and have it keep going and feel it in our lives in the ways that we may get helped even in surprising ways on our path. Yeah. And it also feels like it's no longer just apologizing for a fault or some slip on the path. It's not really like uh, ask for forgiveness for something. It's more like I'll stay in touch with you in meditation and prayer so that I don't go there. Uh-huh. Right. Transcendent. And also I noticed the language is that in step one, we said we we're powerless. Well, if that were the end of the story, we might as well just go home and shut the doors. But here it says that um, we're asking for the, um, the knowledge of the higher powers will and the power to carry that out. And the way I interpret that is that I'm a, a conduit or a channel is that now I have the will I have the power that's not mine, but can flow through me. And and Aranya, our non-attachment one, that really sounds like that kind of non-attachment to me. Right. The virtues, the non-attachment being the virtue for type five, but also the other virtues are not too different from the Yes, yes. They're all, in fact, all of the low side of our fixation is our separation from this cosmic blessing. And the idea that we are individual, but we're not separate. That has been a strong, I got that from both of you and my own meditations. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one, it's uh, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And what I really like, it's, um, so many of us come in afraid of the God idea or the, the higher power. And it says, what is the spiritual experience? It's that we are able to do, feel, and believe what we weren't able to do before on our unaided will. Mm-hmm. Very down to earth. Very, look, I can not drink anymore under these social challenging circumstances. Um, I can feel, I can feel like I, I'm with people when I'm sitting with them. I don't need the veil down of some substance in my body. And believe it's, you know, it took me hitting bottom to be able to find a higher power and believe. And in any grand terms, it's this connection to everything and everyone. It's beautiful. Right. And almost, and finding that sense of support and meaning through that connection, 
not just sort of exercising your own small will. Right. Um, it's it, and and when you can, it's it's very aligned with the Enneagram in terms of like when we realize that we're over-identified with something we're not it opens the door to realizing all that we are connected to that we don't see when we're stubbornly kind of stuck in our own personality and it's lens on the, on reality. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Very beautiful, Jenner. Thank you. It's really, really a beautiful thing. And so it, it sounds like in the book, you kind of take each chapter and kind of talk about the steps and, and link them with particular elements of the Enneagram system, kind of like a way we've been talking about, but with, with even more systematically. Is that right? Well, what we just talked about, I was trying to bring kind of 12-step ideas to people in the Enneagram world. Right. And there in um, the book, I tried to bring more Enneagram ideas into the 12-step world. Like I ah, think right. the shadow work is so important for the step eight that we talked about. It's just right. a matter of emphasis on which direction. But I do think it's also an opportunity for Enneagram listeners of the Enneagram 2.0 podcast to learn more about the 12 steps mm -hmm. so in the other way uh, of what your original intention with the book was. Right. They do right. have a book. It's called The 12 Steps for Everyone. And it's written just with that audience in mind. Like, um, we're all addicted to our old ways of being. And that would pro probably translate better for people out there who, who don't have a substance or a process addiction. Right, 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 right. So any last thoughts you have for the Enneagram audience on, you know, what from the 12 steps uh, or the, the path of recovery, what, what might help them um, if they can gain something from this, whether or not they struggle with addiction? Well, maybe I'll, um, I just want to go sideways just a little and say that I, lately I've been, like I said at the beginning, I am trying really to get to my feelings more. I feel like that's such a rich, unexplored territory for me. And that I, and I heard the idea of codependency. And it's not just Al-Anon people with family members. It's the, do I change my behavior in any way to try to change other people or react for myself. And my pattern is withdrawal. And I would say I'm not codependent, but this withdrawal is a reaction. It's not an action. And so um, I think we're all have less than ideal relationships. And this might be an interesting entree point for a lot of people out in the Enneagram world is to look at the idea that, um, that, we can be our best self through applying the balancing of the instincts, getting to our energizing point for our relationships. Does yeah. that tie in? Do you want? Do you yeah, want yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I think just the the whole idea that you know all of us. I mean, almost by definition, being sort of. Um, too attached to personality and the patterns and habits, it is a kind of addiction, you know, that everyone suffers from this in some way. And that is sort of part of being in a personality or identified with a personality. And so I think all of what you've said uh, really is relevant to the process of kind of waking up out of that 
and then very practical steps that you can take in order to move out of that, both in terms of, you know, your mind and what you do and how you feel about yourself and, and your life and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when I come back from your retreats, our, our workshops, I have that similar feeling of being suspended that my ego is not holding me down so much. And I just came back from a vacation where I'm not judgmental for a brief period after. And it's so you, you realize what a burden it is to carry all of those heavy ego things around when it's lifted, even if temporarily. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Very glad, very grateful for you, you. Jenner, for the work you've been doing with this and for mm-hmm. sharing this with us at, uh, in a group too. Uh-huh. I'm deeply grateful to you both. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jenner. It's been a big pleasure talking with you and, um, and, Thank you for writing this book. I think it's going to do a lot of good and uh, really, really be a huge contribution in bringing together these two systems that both have so much in common in terms of helping people uh, transcend and find their way to a higher place and a more fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next time for the Enneagram 2.0 podcast.